Today on Sagittarian Matters, making art during quarantine, the ancient sadness of the Capricorn, money management, getting mad at inanimate objects, vegan food fails, and more. With fan favorite and friend of the show, Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studio in Los Angeles, California. Before we get to our talk with Beth Pickens, our resident Capricorn who joined us to give advice and answer questions about money, meaning, quarantine, Capricorns, and more, I wanted to give a huge thank you to composer Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Now, you already know Carolyn because she made our Sagittarian Matters theme song, but I asked her to please make a special Capricorn Matters theme song for Beth Pickens, and with short notice, she just pulled out this incredible song. I love it so much. I'm overwhelmed with joy right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Ugh, I love it. Thank you. Um, I want to give my quick top 10 of the week, and then we'll get on to our talk with Beth Pickens. My top 10 this week. Number one, the television show Killing Eve. I can't even talk about it without spoiling the crazy things that are happening this season. Number two, the podcast Still Processing with Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham. Number three, denim face masks from 69 US. That is an independent fashion label in Los Angeles. I think I got four or five of them for $20 and they're so cute. Uh, one, two, three, number four, Stevie Wonder's earliest works. Why not listen to them all? Number five, Pony Sweat Aerobics, Forever and Always. Mm, one, two, three, four, five. Number six, the song Gloria. Number seven, the song We Belong by Pat Benatar. Number eight, I attempted to hug a tree. Mixed results, but it's still in there. Number nine, making a secret outer space movie on Marco Polo. Thank you to my co-star. Number 10, receiving really, really nice mail. And a bonus, number 11, Producer Ponyo and I were in the Wall Street Journal this week for scolding my neighbors. They didn't even put the thing about Twitter in there. She just wrote about me walking around yelling, where's your mask? Germ pod, which is true. I saw a family of cyclists without masks just bearing down on me in Silver Lake. And I was like, you're a germ pod, you're just a germ pod. And um, I think this experience is is going to keep happening, I think, until I... I guess I'm living in a treehouse or something. So anyway, that's my top 10 for the week, plus one extra one. Uh, find us on thewallstreetjournal.com and enjoy my talk with Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens is a Capricorn and the author of the book, Your Art Will Save Your Life. She's an arts consultant and a favorite friend to the show. You can find Beth on Instagram at Beth Pickens Consulting. Please enjoy my talk with highly favored frequent contributor, Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters, Capricorn Matters edition. We're in the very special Sagittarian Matters Zoom room. I see producer Ponyo had set up the Zoom room, made it troll proof. Yeah, we... No no one's going to hack this Zoom room. (laughs) Have you been Zoom bombed? I have, and it was actually awful. It was for um, a, a meeting that I was in at 7.30 in the morning, a group of people who don't necessarily know each other. 
and it got hacked by a group of, um, wait for it, men, young men, <laughs> and who took over the meeting. And this is like a small group that like, it's not a publicly known thing. It, it felt very low risk to get hacked. Um, and they immediately took over the screen, played porn and like gross porn, not cool porn, and started playing a screaming music that said the N-word over and over while various people appeared on the camera with guns and masks on. It was very traumatizing. And I don't use the word traumatized lightly because I think we overuse that word a lot. But what I noticed was my heart was beating for an hour. And then I, it occurred to me, oh, this is a traumatized reaction. My heart won't stop pounding. It's because I've just had a traumatizing experience, a violent traumatizing experience. That's what traumatized means. That was like my two girls, one cup, Cameron Esposito, queer memoir panel, Zoom room. It, yep. I was I, I was like, I'm appalled. I'm aghast. It, it was really upsetting. But, you know, one of the people in the meeting had such a great reaction. She said, you know, I thought that was kind of exciting. And I was like, <laughs> I, I just love that everybody has a different experience. I thought we were all traumatized. Yeah. I thought maybe everybody's having my thing where their heart won't stop pounding. But this one woman was like, you know, that was the most exciting thing that happened today. Great. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, God bless. You know, people, you got to get your kicks somewhere. God, you really have to. Beth, you and I have a concept called, um, like, citations, infractions, ticket books. Do it's, we ever. It's essentially, correct me if I'm paraphrasing wrong, but it's essentially when we're out in the world and someone is doing something that feels like an infraction for either of our own um, personal codes of what people should be doing. Yes. It's, we nominated ourselves. We feel though, as we were nominated at birth, but we nominated ourselves to be hall monitors of the planet. We are those narcs that tell on kids for doing things wrong. Um, And so unfortunately that job never stops. It's 24 hours a day. So anytime (laughs) I leave my house and to be honest in my house too, it's up to me to give tickets to people who are doing things wrong. So in my house, I gave I give tickets to inanimate objects. Oh my god, I have one more highlight low light I need to tell you. Um, and I just actually before the podcast, a zine had fallen off my shelf, and then I accidentally stepped on it, and that zine got a ticket for being in my way. <laughs> so that's where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a hazard of quarantine when you start fighting with all the objects in the house. But I understand because, you know, when, when like our, our washing machine, for for example, it's kind of older. It's a top loading one. So sometimes it smells it smells weird and you have to run like vinegar through it. And I've given it a ticket so many times. I was like, just do the thing right. And I have to give it a ticket. Oh, yeah. A lot of things like I have one of those um, stovetop espresso machines. And one day I didn't tend to it for like two minutes and then like the handle started melting. And I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? This is your only job. Like, do you have to start melting right away? It's so dramatic. You have one function. You can't be a little tougher. You know, I, machine. I said, I was like, you're being so dramatic right now. You're built for fire. Yeah. <laughs> but can you tell me about what happened? So listeners are very well aware that I... Instead of having my internal verbal list of citations, I started screaming at my neighbors. Uh, but what happened when you when they reopened Griffith Park and you went for a nice leisurely six thirty a.m. walk this week? Ugh. I mean, uh, Griffith Park, which is this enormous park in Los Angeles, I go there, you know, between three and six days a week with my dogs early in the morning to get them a hearty one hour hike where they actually run off leash for a minute and we go up lots of inclines. It's like the exercise everybody needs to be sane. Cause I have a dog who's on Prozac and Pepsid. Okay. <laughs> so 
and the trails have been closed for almost two months, like a month and a half. And it's been really hard to get them enough exercise and me too. Uh, and I just miss the bird. You know, I'm an I'm a middle-aged lesbian and I have to, by law, listen to birds sing so many hours a day, right? Like that's just what happens when you hit 40 as a gay person. So I really miss the views, the forest bath experience, all the birds. So we got there, my spouse and I and our two miserable dogs got to the Griffith Park to our usual loop on Saturday morning by 6.30 a.m. And there were already people there. Like I knew there'd be people there because this was day one of it being officially open, although I'm sure people cheated. I wasn't there to give them tickets, but they have those tickets in spirit. So we get there at 6.30 and there's some people there. By 7, halfway through our hike, it's pretty bumping. And there are at least 30% of people maskless, not have a mask around their neck and haven't pulled it up, but just no mask in sight. It transcended gender, race, age, kind of exercise. It really masklessness knew no identity. It was permeating every, every strata. And, but these people surely were social distancing, right? No, no, of course not. No, no. Why, why would we do that? There's no like global pandemic happening or anything. We haven't been trapped in our homes for two months. So I'm like, I don't even have enough alcohol wipes to wipe down the ticket book for as fast as I'm giving out tickets for all these Angelinos who are doing this thing wrong. And I'm not so worried about like, you're going to transmit to me or I'm going to transmit to you. I'm more like, look, don't we want this place to be open? It just opened. And the mayor, Mayor Garcetti, made it very clear that if we, the collective, we can't like do this thing in the way that we've been asked to do, they're going to shut them down again. I feel so like this is like, <laughs> this is my whole life in school. Like seeing kids mouth off to the teacher and in my head being like, if you just. We're all going to lose recess. Yeah. <laughs> because of you. Because you can't act right. We all lose recess. That's how I feel. And I was definitely a narc kid as a child. Because I had an older brother who was always in trouble and ruining everything. So I hated the kids who acted out and got in trouble and then like lost the things for everyone. Cause I was doing it right. As you can imagine, I would only <laughs> do wrong things in private. Nobody knew about it. So I'm at the park, just giving out tickets in my mind, wiping them down my ticket book constantly with alcohol pads. The tickets are flying. I'm getting paper cuts to myself. <laughs> and then I have to start giving double infractions for the people who aren't wearing masks and are playing music from their phones without, without headphones, which to me is like the most egregious thing you can do in a beautiful, serene public space is blast music. And it's, you can say it's cultural, but it's really not. It also transcends age, gender, race, nationality, like playing music in the park knows no boundaries either. Um, and those two things combined, they earn the biggest ticket. The ticket's so big, it's like a giant check that has to get delivered to your house when you win <laughs> Publishers Clearinghouse. So I've had to mail out, I've spent thousands of dollars in fees having these giant tickets printed and delivered to people's houses. <laughs> who weren't wearing masks and were playing music out of their phones. Something you and I have talked about, which now I take into my ticket ticket writer thing, is if you're on Instagram and you have more than four friends, don't post photos of yourself mask-free at the beach, on a trail, uh, at a flower super bloom. Like, I just, I think maybe it's best for right now that if you do keep those it things... Keep it on the DL. Yeah, don't publicize it because when you do, you're just emboldening other people to go out and just cough freely directly into the air. Yeah, I just think if you're going to do something that you know is shady, which we all do, everybody does shady shit, right, all the time because some rules are just nobody could abide them and others we just don't care to. 
And so when you're going to do shady things, you just do it on the deal. You don't like promote it on Instagram. Just leave it off. Leave your phone home. Don't take, you don't have to capture that moment to know that you had it. What? 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 Um, do you have any hot tips? Oh, wait, I, I need to tell you my highlight slash low light of quarantine, loneliness or not, was I, I've been going to my studio. It's a private studio. It's not, a, you know, I don't see anybody. I wipe down everything, blah, blah, blah. I don't cough on anyone. Just directly, you know, door to car to car to door to private space. I was driving home the other day at midnight because I had a late night working on a pet portrait and I was listening to the song We Belong by Pat Benatar. And, and I, I know why you were. Because it's the, pony sweat. It's in the pony sweat rotation this month and it is a real jammer. So I was listening to it and you know, like the first time the chorus comes up, it sounds so triumphant. And when I, it came up, I kind of was flailing in my car, which that part's normal, but I accidentally hit the windshield wiper thing. And then I was like, Hey, that's fun. And so every time the chorus went on, I turned on the windshield wiper. So it felt like the car was dancing with me. <laughs> you were doing choreography. <laughs> I would even, sometimes I would press the little like, you know, windshield wiper fluid button so the car could really get into it. <laughs> so we can have its own flash dance moment yes <laughs> um well the past two ep- uh, episodes the past two times i've gone to pony sweat with this may um song list definitely when we belong comes on i've cheered up both both times it's so in my living room dancing to pony sweat and thank god for pony sweat and quarantine it's it's so lovely to see amelia and everybody and to do these like gay kind of you're you're galloping around your living room like a horse a little bit to Pat Benatar and it's really special. Crying to Pat Benatar, it's fantastic, very um, cathartic. Have you noticed online that more people? This may not be a topic for uh, this isn't our kind of topic, but um, people have been getting very horny on my feed. Like people I follow who are just because they're illustrators or hikers or whatever, all of a sudden there's nudes. All of a sudden, like illustrators that I follow them because they draw flowers, they're drawing like a sexy lady in a negligee. And I'm like, what's happening, everybody? I mean, everyone's so horny. You know, it's just like anything could set a person off. (laughs) The pent up energy and frustration of being alone or being with a person you've been having sex with or not for a long time or just seeing the same people every day. Yeah, like I'm sure everybody's horny and like any kind of variable or variation, like a weird piece of fruit, just will (laughs) send a person off. I was looking up pictures from um, Call Me By Your Name, (laughs) which is- Just for fun? question. And this is controversial, but we have, we have, this is your podcast. You have the right listenership to weigh in on this. In my opinion, straight, actors playing gay is smoking hot i don't know why broke your broke backs mountain your call me buys your name and yet if straight women were playing lesbians i'm not i'm not interested why is that explain it to me (laughs) i don't know but i agree with you wholeheartedly so annoyed by straight women playing lesbian i feel betrayed when i find out Right. But straight men playing gay. Right. Timothee and Army Hammer, I was like spank bank for the rest of my life. Like this is quality material I can't get enough of. Is it because we don't see that kind of intimacy amongst men? And we're- it's got to be sexism because everything is, right? This is some sort of internalized sexism, internalized homophobia. That's usually the answer. 
But I was just like counting off in my mind all of the films with gay storylines played by straight actors. And I was like, this is great, horny art. And then the counter of straight women or like a lesbian and a straight woman. I'm like, no, take it or leave it. No, thanks. And I would, you know, I, I just feel like your listenership can can explain this to me in two sentences or less. Okay, let's. this is an official call. Official call. I'm calling Sagittarian Matters to ask about this, this not problem that I have, but just something I've observed. We'll dig deeper into this. Um, Beth, do you want to answer some advice questions? More than anything. It's, I have nothing else. Okay, great. Hold on really quick. Oh, can I ask you an opinion question? It's I a, mean, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. It's a theory... It's a theory I have that avoidant <laughs> that avoidant attachment is the new introvert of the internet. Because <laughs> people, you know, for a while were like, I'm proudly proclaiming, guess what? I'm an introvert. And right, every right. meme is about being an introvert. And I predict that the next thing to come around, the, last unpop- the next unpopular kind of diss to come around is avoidant attachment. People are going to start rising up and being like, I'm avoidant. Right. It's like when lesbians became, you know, this profession and then they all became that profession. So like public queers are, I, I've definitely taken the, are you an extroverted introvert Buzzfeed quiz to figure out what exactly am I to understand myself better. Um, and I think you're really onto something because I'm sure attachment theory is very appealing to people because it seems very simple. The Wikipedia is super short. We like things that can help us classify ourselves, right? And, and, and attachment theory is based in a lot of research. My, when I was in graduate school, my um, advisor was an expert in attachment theory. And I love learning about attachment theory and all the shit we do and don't do in relationships because of precisely what happened to us in the first three months of our birth and your shit is just fucked because you had no control over anything you were pre-verbal just flailing about and you were either made eye contact with or you weren't you were either (laughs) responded to when you were screaming or you weren't and that affects what you're doing or not doing with your boyfriend today oh god katie (laughs) it's not prescriptive it's just descriptive it's not like you're condemned to these things but it's like things we have to know and learn to navigate Dr. Katie Spencer described it. Do you know the way that she describes it where she's like with the different babies? Where she's like anxious no. baby, like the mom leaves the room and then she comes back and the baby freaks out because they're like, don't leave again. Right, right, right. And yeah, that's because famously attachment theory is based on research of babies. And then, But then she said, um, you know, then secure babies like, I'm sad you were gone, but we're here together now. Everything's fine. But she said an avoidant baby, the, when the mom leaves and comes back, the baby's like smoking a cigarette, being like, yeah, like I don't fucking miss you. I don't you. know you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you. You think I care that you left? You can leave again for all I care. Yeah. That baby is totally putting cigarette on its mom. <laughs> Attachment theory is so fun. It's such a, it's just like, you should round out your Myers-Briggs, your various Zodiacs. You should round out all these things with also understanding what is your attachment style. <laughs> I, I, I think you don't like it, but I like an Enneagram, too. I recently did an Enneagram. I don't, I'm not opposed to Enneagram. I think I just didn't identify it as deeply as I do with some other things. You know, like, I'm, of course, I'm really over-identified with being a Capricorn, and I'm very over-identified with my micro-generation, Generation Catalano. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start a micro-niche podcast that's just for people who are, like, for 1978 to 1982 it's just for those people around the world to find out what we have in common that's perfect i'm a list i'm your listener 
Um, Beth Pickens, here's a question. Dear Sagittarian Matters, my friend asks how I am. I tell her and she ignores it and only talks about herself. How to address from Frazzled and Fresno. Mm, mm. Something's going on with that friend, but you don't have to figure that out, Frazzled and Fresno. I think the first thing to do, because this is a friend, you didn't say like, this is my cousin or my sister or my roommate. This is a friend. This is somebody that presumably you want in your life and you care about and you want to strengthen a relationship with and maintain relationship and intimacy with. So first I would say it might be useful to gently bring this up to the person. They may have no idea they're doing this. Sometimes we get into communication patterns that are just so deeply entrenched, we are completely unaware of what we're like right? We have nervous tics. We have ways of communicating. We have relational patterns. We get entrenched in patterns. So I think it might be useful the next time you're talking to this friend and it happens to say, you, you know, just to stop the friend and say, I care about this friendship so much and something is bothering me a little and I, and I love you and care about this relationship. So I want to bring it up. I just noticed, I've noticed that when I start to tell you about how I am, it seems like the conversation goes to you and it seems like I'm not being heard and it's really hurting my feelings and it's making it hard to feel close, making it hard for me to feel close to you. Have you noticed that? Can we talk about it? Because mm -hmm. maybe you don't think that's going on, but I do. So I want us to clear it up because I want us both to feel heard and supported. Now that's a long intro. <laughs> that's a really long thing to say, but I think there's a way to not assume the worst, to assume that this is a person you love and care about, and they might be doing something that they are not aware of. We all do annoying shit all the time that we're not aware of, except for Nicole George's. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But that zine that fell. <laughs> I know. I know. And also, except for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, if I could tell you the laundry list of things that I do that I'm unconscious of or barely aware of that drive my spouse crazy. Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. And this just in, he's got a Venmo. H-E double hockey sticks books. That's hell books at Venmo. Thank you for your support. And we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. I personally, side note, love hearing what people's friends make fun of them for. Like people who've like, you know, like if I'm getting to know somebody and I'm just like kind of trying to get the full picture. I like being like people that have known you for a long time. Like what do they make fun of you for? Yeah, I, I, I have a, I know the things that probably my friends make fun of and they either laugh it off lovingly or it kind of eats at them a little, you know, like we all do annoying things. And sometimes it has to be reflected back at us if it's if it's if it's um, making it difficult to be in relation. And I want to know, you know, I've done enough work on myself and it's possible, listener, that your friend has, too, that they would want to know if they're doing something that they're not aware of that's harming the friendship. Yeah, I mean, like my friends giving me this kind of feedback has helped me become less rigid. You may be surprised to know. Um, you know, people know I don't like a spontaneous third when I made the dinner plan, but aside from that, okay. 
Dear Sagittarian Matters, I have to move in June. Do you have any advice for setting in, especially amid all the social distancing from moving in Montana? Oh, so it sounds like this person's moving. They're not moving across town. They're like moving to a new place. Seems, seems like it. How to settle in when you can't go be in person with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have some tips and I'm sure you do too. I think when you get to a new community, because that's, that's what I'm assuming is happening. You're getting to a new community, not just a new part of town or like down the street or something. I like to um, first find out the lowest hanging fruit. Who is anybody in town that is close to somebody you're close to? Just look for the low hanging fruit first to just find out who are the people that when you can spend time together in person, you'll want to do that. Because you can right now have the people that are in your life who have friends in this new community just like introduce you so that you at least have that going on over text or voicemail or whatever, however you want to communicate. I also think it's really useful to start getting on the email list of a lot of different arts and cultural organizations that are consistent with what you like to do for that town so that you know, like, okay, what's going on here? It's not happening in person, but like, what can I, what can I understand and how can I participate from home or in a different way in the sort of like art and culture of my community? If you are in any anonymous 12 step programs, that's a great way to start meeting people immediately in your community. And those will all be virtual for some time. And if you're not in an anonymous 12 step program, I mean, hell, most people qualify for three, four or six. So ne- never been a better time than now <laughs> to go meet new people that way. Just take, think? take some surveys. I mean, I don't know. I just, I think that those are great. You know, I always recommend volunteering at a place as a becoming part of the thing that you want to be a part of by like offering your, your labor or time. Um, and that's time that you have because you don't have any friends yet. I'm not a, I'm not a friendly person. (laughs) This is probably one of the things my friends would make fun, fun of me about. I'm a, I'm a warm loving person. And I think people who know me feel very, feel very loved and seen, but like, I'm, I don't, I am so anti small talk. I'm, I can be a little prickly in public. I don't like to be out at night. I'm not a super friendly person. I don't think that's how I think I am probably read in the world. So this is going to be advice I'm giving you. That's like, do what I say, not what I do. Cause I don't do these things, but it would be a good time to meet your immediate neighbors, the people who live in the same building or in the house next door or whatever the living situation is to just, and you could just knock on their door and say hello from behind the thing. Like, Hey, I just moved in. I know we can't hang out in person, but I just wanted to say hi. And here's my number. If there's any emergency, can I have yours? Yeah. I would never do that, but it seems like a really good thing to do. I mean, I honestly would just cultivate some plants. I would cultivate some plants and uh, just try to make my interior space as nice as possible because who knows how long you're going to be indoors and, I just feel like like I'd be wearing a mask. You can't see even my mouth behind the mask to see. Right, if I'm right. not that good at smizing. I just think like don't judge it by the standards of today. Don't judge your settling in community process by the standards of two months ago. Judge it by the standards of True. today. And so if today you need to just cling to your friends from the place you came from, that's okay. You're not missing out yet. And maybe at some, some point you'll have that feeling. Um, dear Sagittarian Matters, how do you balance the need? How do you balance out the need for money to survive 
but also the need for creative fulfillment, mental peace, and satisfaction with the work you are creating and producing. From Quizzical in Quebec. Ah, uh, yes. The most confounding equation I find in working with artists that they seem to experience is my art plus making a living equals what the fuck. That's like the magical equation, the quadratic formula of being an artist. And I think the way you balance these things is you don't abandon any of them, right? You you have to tend to all the different parts of your life and understand that your creative practice is one of the central ways you take care of yourself. And just like you can't abandon cleaning your bod or your house, you can't abandon your financial well-being, you can't abandon your friendships. These are all like important parts of your life, your creative practices as well. Mm-hmm. And you're... I just think it's, and I've said it time and again on the podcast, so listener, please dig into our archives. But um, when you start attaching a monetary value and capitalism to your creative fulfillment, to your creative project, it puts a pressure on that to conform so that you can keep making money, so that you can survive. And so I really think if it's possible for you to have some kind of job that doesn't drain your brain entirely and then get to make whatever you creatively want to make, you can express your true feelings, your true heart on the page or whatever your thing is. And then if money comes, wonderful. And then maybe you can phase out your other job. But if it doesn't come, you still get to just make your work without that pressure on it. I agree. I think your creative practice your projects have value even if that is not and never will be financial value they have value that is really big okay so that's a longer bigger conversation about what kind of work to do what kind of paid employment to have because what works is a different formula for every single person but i think the way you balance all of these things is you tend to all of them and not in a single day you don't have to do all these things in a day think about a week think about your unit being a week And try not to let your week end until you've tended to all these different parts of your life, including your creative practice. Mm. This, this reminds me of one of my like slogans for the week. I've been trying, I have a fuzzball. I drew a ring-tailed lemur. It was a request and I've been trying to think of the right thing for him to say. And I don't think he's going to say this, but something that came up was like, I was thinking about, I heard somebody say, you know, the outcome doesn't matter. It's how I show up for me. And I was thinking about that in like relation to other people, right? Like, so say like the first caller with the question, you know, she speaks up for herself. She says to her friend, I feel like when I talk to you, you talk about yourself. I really care about you. You know, how can we work this out? Even if her friend doesn't give her the answer she wants, she still showed up for herself and practiced showing up like in a responsible adult, responsible for herself and also not making assumptions about her friend. Great. But I feel this way also about creativity, and your work. It's just like, maybe at the end of the day, you don't sell a million dollars worth of this thing, but it's the practice. It's how you showed up for yourself in the meantime and made space for your process and kind of reinforced in your mind that it was important whether or not it got you 4,000 Instagram followers. All right. Beth Pickens, has anything been coming up with your clients recently, especially around the pandemic? So many things. Um, Around the beginning of May, I started noticing in a lot of artists, not just my clients, um, but artist friends, like people in my circles, started hearing from a lot of artists the sort of malaise-fueled feeling of none of it matters, it's all meaningless. Like, 
my art doesn't even matter to me. Why would it matter to anyone else? <laughs> Which I think is a natural point. If you sort of like zoom way out and look at the ebbs and flows of the experience, <clears throat> it seems like that tracks. Um, and I've heard this from so many different kinds of people, different kinds of artists, different phases of career, different kinds of work. Um, like I said, people all across the spectrum of how I know them. And I have a deep vested interest as somebody who requires a lot of art, but doesn't make art. I need a lot of art. So I've been thinking about all the artists in my world, how to help them be ready to really drill down into making their work if they're not already doing it. Because the collective we is going through this really difficult and often traumatizing, scary, sometimes boring, sometimes wondrous experience. It's going to take us a long time to process and understand it. One thing that will help us process and understand this experience is your art. Experiencing art, taking in people's work of all disciplines, helps us have our experiences reflected back to us, helps us have feelings, helps facilitate feelings and process experiences. I don't mean you need to make a project about the pandemic. You can, that doesn't have to be what you're doing, but whatever you're making and when you put it out in the world and help it get to the people who want to need it, that work will help them process the experience that they're having. And there's going to be, there is enormous need for that globally. So we need a lot of artists to make their work and let it be in the world so that people can have the whole vast continuum of experiences that we get from art, relief, validation, joy, fear, sadness, reflection, humor, um, every kind of feeling being facilitated. So what I want every artist to do is take really good care of themselves and like commit to working on your work this month. Whatever project is closest to being done, make a plan for getting that thing done and help it be out in the world because the collective we needs a shit ton of art to process what the fuck we're going through. I'm Kaya Wilson and you're listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole J. Georges and producer Anya. Dear Sagittarian Matters, I don't know much about astrology, but when people find out I'm a Sagittarius, they seem disappointed, but I don't know why. What are the negative traits they are ascribing to me from Centaur in Centralia? Okay, well, do you want to speak to this as an outsider? I mean, I I know personally, Sagittarians are known for being fast and loose, not particularly loyal, blunt, uh, sensitive brute simultaneously like very uh, blunt but then very sensitive yeah well i was going to ask you what are the negative stereotypes about a sagittarius and that's kind of it that list i think i imagine them as like a frat boy that's how i imagine because like growing up i'm just thinking about this because you know as listeners are very well aware you know my early 20s i found out i had a capricorn moon and rising but before then i had no idea and so as a Sagittarius sun sign, I would look in, you know, YM magazine or whatever, where they would have the horoscopes. And for Sagittarius, it would always be someone sporty or traveling. And it was like sports, sports, travel, travel, sports. And I didn't relate because I was like, I just want some stability, please. Um, and that's, I think, probably a little bit more the Capricorn in me. But yeah, I think that people think of Sagittarius like, so I've heard people call it in a queer astrology book, Sagittarist. <laughs> that's really funny mm-hmm. um something i notice in sagittarian well it's it's like we know 
because we're required again by law from being homosexuals. We know that your son is just like the umbrella over everything. It's just the thing that's like pulling things toward away. So you really need to look so much more into your chart, dear listener. We need to know your moon and your rising. It's just imperative. Like me being a Capricorn, I am hyper identified with being a Capricorn, but I'm acutely aware of how much my Leo moon and my Gemini rising are like these big tidal waves that are governed by this Capricorn sun. Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't, and like there's lots of negative, every sign has great attributes and then stereotypes and the funny things you can make fun of that person for, which are often disturbingly true. Even if you're a naysayer, you'll find it to be true. Um, And the thing is like, you might not identify with all that stuff or you, or you might, but like, there's so much more going on in your chart. So don't worry too much, but here's the thing I've noticed about Sagittarians. Cause I have two, I probably have more, but I have at least two close Sages, you and Becky Smith. Sagittarians keep their friends separate and secret from one another. They're like, they're like little squirrels, like go over here. And then there's a little pile of acorns over here. And then you're like, Whoa, I didn't know you had acorns over there. And they're like, this is my little pile of acorns. And they go off of the other pile of acorns. And I wonder if this is a Sag thing or if it's just you and Becky Smith, but Sages keep, they're like, well, I'm going to the mall with my mall friends tonight. And you're like, that sounds fun. You're like, no, 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 no. These are my mall friends. You're not part of that. (laughs) I'll hang out with you a different time when we do our thing. Um, Also something I know about Sagittarians is that we always have a secret plan and it's not necessarily like nefarious. It doesn't mean it's often so meaningless, but it's just an assumption that this is the plan and this is how it's going to go. And so it could be something like, I thought we were going to eat sandwiches for dinner and I forgot to tell you. And I just went forward with like getting out the bread and putting all the stuff. And then when you went to grab noodles, I was like, what are you doing? Uh, is that like a mind reading thing? Like, do Sages think that people can read their mind? Or is it more just that they forget to communicate their expectations? I've talked to multiple Sagittarians at different evolutionary levels. Like, also, some of the things you're going to hear about Sagittarians, there's an evolved version of a sign and a not evolved version. So, like, you know, like when people are like, I'm a Scorpio and it means I, you know, I'm so sexual that I hate everybody. Like, that's right, not necessarily. I'm going to sex murder you. <laughs> that's not necessarily like the. There's probably Scorpios that are a little more evolved that are not purely just like sex sex and grudges. Same with Sagittarians. We're not all Guy Fieri. We're not all sideways baseball cap. Like, peace, like give me some Four loco, White Claw, whatever. Um, but so I've met Sagittarians of all ages and stripes and the secret plan, it's just a thing where it's like, it occurs to you and then you go to implement it because you like to just implement things and do things and like, that sounds great. And so sometimes you forget to catch people up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Who are other notable Sages? What are some of the famous Sages well, that you like to that you like to bring out and brag about? Like, well, did you know these people are all Sages? I don't know. Wait, hold on your little hold up your little thing. I think maybe Britney Spears is a Sagittarius. Oof. Brad Pitt. Emily Dickinson has my same birthday. Wow. Eileen Miles, friend to the show, Sagittarius. Who else? I can't remember who else. Maybe Nicki Minaj is a Sagittarius. But Nicki Minaj is a Sagittarius. Yeah, All right. Nicki Minaj. I'm thinking about the through line between Emily Dickinson and, and Nicki Minaj. <laughs> and Emily Dickinson, as we know from reading all the biographies about her, is like she was a good time. Like she was really funny and a weirdo and not quite the reclusive like wisp of a woman that history has sort of repainted her as. She was a redhead. Yeah. Like how many people knew that? She's a fucking redhead. I didn't know that. She was a spitfire. Makes sense that she's Sagittarius and a redhead. 
I have another question. Dear Sagittarius Matters, I am a graphic designer who's long thought about establishing an independent artistic practice. I'm in my late 20s with zero gallery and art world experience, and I guess I'm wondering how you elevate your practice from just painting sometimes to really developing a body of work and showing it to the world at large. It excites me, but it also feels really overwhelming. Ah, from Overwhelmed in Ontario. I say just make yourself a deadline. Just book a date for a local gallery just to see how it feels, and then there's your timeline. You better finish it by then because you already told your friends in the gallery. Yeah, I think you could also, Overwhelmed Ontario, benefit from like building up a creative practice, like making it a real habit in your life. Um, And at first, that might be something you might start sort of warming up by doing things that aren't output specific, not a project, not something you're trying to show the world, to actually build up a relationship to yourself as a creative practitioner that's just first and foremost for you. Like start with making things that are just you being with you. And then keep going because you have to start making work that you, you've been in a world where you're making work to other people's specs and, and expectations. And it has like your voice and your spin on it, but it's largely for someone else. So to shift all of those skills and techniques and the world you have inside of you into your creative fine art practice, I think first and foremost starts with you getting to know yourself in that way. Like if there is no outside expectation, if there's nobody guiding you or giving you um, a brief, like what do you want to make? And it might take a little bit of time to understand and develop that. And that's okay. You're not doing it wrong. You're not not an artist. You're exploring. How do you feel about the idea of writing an artist statement first, having a deep dive yourself, writing an artist statement, and then just being like, okay, I'm just going to make as many things as I can before I get bored based around this concept. I mean, that sounds to me like putting the cart before the horse, but it might work for some people. The Sagittarian, it might work for the Sagittarian. I think sometimes, and everybody's wired differently, right? So this, this, this listener might benefit from just having kind of like an external goal because their work has been external goal related working as a graphic designer. I think it might benefit them to start to get to know who are they without anybody else's expectations. Mm -hmm. Who are you creatively? And that, that just takes time. It's like that, that takes time and exploration and it takes patience and it's scary and it feels bad a lot of the times, but I would want you listener to, I would want you to just build this practice, build this habit where you show up for a creative practice that starts just between you and yourself so that you can get to know like, well, if nobody's asking, what do you feel like making? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Pickens, what do you know about Capricorns? What are the worst things about a Capricorn? Oh gosh. Well, the worst things about us um, are inflexibility. We can be squares. I'm a square. You kidding me? <laughs> I, I surprised my ticket book and I was narking on everybody as a child. We can be squares. We can skew a little boring, um, a little too habitual, rigid in our thinking. Um, need for safety and security can sort of like trump anything else. Um, Capricorns can be really judgmental and it it can like not even occur to them that their way of doing a thing isn't the right way because their brain just thinks, well, however I do it must be the right way. Right. Because I've climbed the mountain this far. Um, So, you know, there's lots of bummer things about Capricorns. So many. I've always been grateful for the, for the, for the Leo and the Gemini in my chart, because I think it helps me not be a boring square so much. 
And I think the Gemini, you know, the thing that they say about Gemini's is they're jack of all trades, masters of nothing, right? I think the Gemini in my chart has always made me interested in a million things. And then the Capricorn makes me want to master all of them. What are the best things about Capricorn? The best things about Capricorns? Um, you, no matter what thing you want to do in the world, you want a Capricorn right next to you. Like the Capricorn can help you do anything, can help build, launch, make anything happen. Capricorns are so good at building systems, of seeing and building systems that work, of making things work from the ground up. Very solid workhorses. A Capricorn isn't going to say anything that they're not going to do. Like if I say it out loud, you can just count on it's going to happen. Very reliable, very trustworthy you know what you're getting with a Capricorn. If you get them to say something, then that thing is probably very true. Um, there's not there's not a lot of not a lot of smoke and mirrors. Not really any not a lot of mystery. <laughs> but I like the thing I like about being a Capricorn. They're everything. I mean, you know, I'm very Capricorn identified. But I really like that. I think I'm a very trustworthy person, and a thing that I believe I'm valued for by the people who know me in lots of different capacities is that they can really trust me. They can trust me to follow through on something I say I'll do. They can trust my confidences. They can trust telling me something they can, anyone can trust me with money forever, <laughs> you know? So it's sort of like these base earth things that we need. A Capricorn is your right hand person for all of them. I love that. We're just great. We're just fantastic. It's a wonderful sign. You know, I had to learn about it at some point. And when it was told to me that I had a Capricorn moon rising, it was told as a diss. But you know what? Ooh. I don't take it as that. I don't take it as a diss. I'm taking it as a point of pride. To stay gay, to stay in the gay sphere of talking, it was, I was dating someone who still lived with her ex, of course, because they owned a house together. Naturally. As one does. But dating other people. And then the ex, though it was so cool that they lived together, so cool, the ex had a little hostility towards me. And so, and also was an astrologer. And so one day, Astro stalked me, somehow waited till I'd had a drink or something, asked me my birth time, went, squirreled away with her. It was before the internet was quite what it is. It was like, you know, our charts and mirrors and sundials and whatever, and drew it up and threw some runes and came back and was like, Oh, you're not a triple Sagittarius. <laughs> the Capricorn moon and rise. It totally makes sense to your Capricorn. You're totally bitter, melancholy, and traditional. <laughs> and at the time, I was aghast. But now I... Let's say, touche, madame. You know, that person wasn't wrong. Traditional, bitter, yes. And there's this great book by the writer Danny Levesque, who lives in, in Oakland. And he wrote this great book on Manic Depress called Hair, Hairdresser on Fire. And it has this line, he's a Capricorn. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. His, is he? No, no, no. His spouse is a Capricorn. I think he's a Leo. Um, anyway, it's funny that I remember anybody who ever came to the art, queer artist retreat that I used to help run. I remember everybody's signs. But he had this great line in his book that was essentially referring to the ancient sadness of being a Capricorn. Like Capricorns have within them an ancient sadness. Oh my God. From being and the oldest really sign? true. If you tell that to any Capricorn, their face will light up with recognition. Mm. The ancient, ancient sadness inside of a Capricorn.
Hey listeners, it's me, Nicole. If you would like to support me and Ponyo, in particular our comics and animal illustrations, go to patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. And for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to hundreds of pages of otherwise unpublished diary comics. For the price of one cold brew plus tip, you can become an honorary Sagittarian. And for the price of two vegan cupcakes or two vegan donuts, you can become a Ponyo's Friend Club member, at which point you really start raking in goods, including new buttons. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. I, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, no listener asked me this, but I heard you say it before. You do a lot of workshops around money. And I know when you're talking to people about budgeting and whatever, I know you've used before in conversation the expression of noticing when you have that fuck it feeling. Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in in the in the financial realm, our our poor overspending habits, which a lot of people have. I mean, most people do. Like a lot of people act out through money. Some people, uh, they'll be more financially anorexic and won't spend money and should. But for a lot of people, they spend money in ways that aren't consistent with their goals and are maybe harming them. And how that can sometimes happen is when a person is under duress or feeling really uncomfortable, we reach for a substance or an action that will relieve us of that discomfort, either to numb us or to give us escape or to give us a change of mood. And that can be drugs. It can be sex. It can be food. It can be shopping for sure. It can be spending money. It can be so many different actions and substances, but a really common one that's very socially sanctioned is spending money. It's just buying shit. It's like spending money in ways that aren't aligned with your needs and, and your ultimate desires for yourself. So in my, in my finance workshops, I ask people to sort of, we, we talk about when they, getting to know when they feel triggered or when they feel really uncomfortable and what they reach for, which we all do. And when they're about to say, like you said, fuck it, I'm just going to spend this money. Fuck it. I'm just going to do this thing. It's sort of like the impetuous child comes and takes over and, and starts taking, taking over the checkbook instead of the adult who's like, well, no, I have some real goals, you know, like, okay, I can spend some money on things that give me pleasure and joy or even escapism, but I don't want to say fuck it and just, like go down in flames. So it's about sort of sitting in that tender gray area where you're about to say fuck it when you're uncomfortable and you want to escape, you want to harm yourself in some way, you want to um you want to change your mood, you want to get out of the discomfort or pain that you're in. That's the learning about when you're about to say fuck it through money. Mine is through postmates. Oh yeah, that's a that's a that's a great one. That's my main fuck it moment. I need to tell you something that happened this week. So I've still been getting deliveries for better or for worse. I've had some food fails during the quarantine. I oh, tell me the food fails. Bitch. Because you, you can't return anything. So it's like a combination of doing a supermarket sweep and then not being able to return anything. So it's like that episode of Seinfeld where Elaine is going into the apartment after it's being fumigated and she just is like, <gasps> and holds her breath and runs through the apartment. That's me at the grocery store. And so mine, mine have been getting food that's not vegan, that seems vegan, like a bag of tater tots. I get it home. Oh, there's sour cream in it. Why? I don't know. This has never happened. It's a, it's a black pepper flavored tater tot. 
of course there's dairy in it. What? Or just like, okay, this is a, looks like a, a tomato based curry, curry sauce from Trader Joe's that I've seen. And then I bring it home and I pour it all over all my food, just all over everything. And then I'm like making a video for someone and I'm like, look at this thing I'm eating. And the ingredients are just, and then you see like my face just like crack and fall as you've just seen me like pour it over like an entire week's worth of chard and CSA vegetables and soy curls. So I've had some vegan fails. Um, I also, oh, I ordered food from Night Market Song, one of my favorite Thai restaurants. And um, my vegan pad Thai came with egg in it. And so I had to give it to my neighbor. I have some non-vegan neighbors who are like, yeah, I'm happy to take that. Take, take it off your hands. Great. Um, but the, And also I got a too spicy salsa. I got a salsa that is like maximum heat, face burning, habanero coverage. Um, I have a question. Go ahead. For both of us. Go ahead. What are things, what are some of the surprising ways you're feeling comfort? What are the things you're using or turning to that you would want to talk about? <laughs> On such matters that are giving you comfort. Hold on. I'm making an editing note. Um, things that are giving me comfort are like my routines. So my routines include like particular meetings that happen over and over again with different friends on a regular basis. Going to my studio is so fun. It's just really fun for me to spend time in my art practice. Even if I don't know what I'm going to do there, even if I don't have a project, whatever, just going to my art studio, like listening to my playlist, putting on my smock, doing that stuff, um, using Marco Polo in a more creative way than I'm used to, like making a movie on Marco Polo, using uh, props and accents and wigs from around my house. What a joy. Those things are all very comforting to me and make me feel like there's spots of joy that I can grab onto throughout the day. And also avoiding avoiding the news is a real comfort to me. What about you? I got nothing. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a podcast head and I'm, a, I'm an avid listener to many podcasts, including Sagittarian Matters. I listen to the ones that I'm not in. Oh, wow. as well as the ones I'm in. Um, and one of my favorite podcasts is Who Weekly. I'm a hooligan. And so I, I'm also a patron. I, on, I support them on Patreon. So I get four episodes of Who Weekly a week that I listen to in real time. And I listen to their entire back catalog. So currently I'm in like early spring 2018, which is a really different time to be in. Like A Star is Born hasn't come out yet. Um, the Royal Wedding hasn't happened Nobody knows who Billie Eilish is, so they keep calling in to be like, who's this person? It's just really fun to go backwards in time listening to celebrity news that you've never heard, mostly celebrities you've never heard of and will never hear of again. It's it's a really interesting time warp. So that's giving me tremendous comfort. Oh I, I read Samantha Irby's um, Wow, No Thank You, her new book of essays, twice. Oh my God. I read it the first time in just two sittings. And then I put it down. I was like, you know what? That gave me a lot of comfort. It was a really good thing to read right now. I'm just going to reread it. <laughs> I re and I reread it right away. Oh, one thing that gave me comfort that you were there for is I um, gave birth to Ponyo on camera the other day during a Zoom call. And she was breech. It was a big deal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just, just on my couch, we just reenacted her birth as we do. And a, a different friend reenacted the birth of her cat. <laughs> it's just like you There's know a lot of hijinks 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 help 
Beth, do you have any final things? I forgot that at some point you had started your own segment, but I can't remember what it was called. It was called like Tips for Living with Beth Pickett. It was, you know, it was something like Life Tips. How to Live with Beth Pickett. How to Live with Beth Pickett. How to Live with Beth Pickett. Don't. <laughs> Just don't even try. I don't remember what the segment was called, but you know, words of wisdom. My, my, my parting advice to all the listeners is... Um, to be as gentle with yourself as you can today, just today, just to be as gentle as you can with yourself and with other people around you. The world is tender. It's always tender. It's always tough. It's always all the things, but um, you know, while everybody's spinning around in tenderness, the tenderness feels extra tender. So as gentle as we can be, which for every person is a different level of gentleness. I am not a very gentle person. I've had to learn gentleness as an adult. And the more gentle I can be with myself, the more forgiving and gentle I can be with other people. Beth Higgins, thank you for being on the podcast. It is an honor and a privilege. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.